Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 172. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, Richard Ryerson here. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Hey, keep those emails coming. I love hearing from you. Thanks for all the support, all the fans out there. If you got a question about leadership, if you're having a leadership challenge, let me hear about it. I love to answer your questions. I might even answer it on the air if it's a pertinent one I think the whole audience can can benefit from. But let me hear from you. I love uh, the support that you're giving to me. And if, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave a rating and review. It does so much for the support and the visibility. That's all I ask for you to listen to this great free content. And again, thank you for your support. Hey, I want to introduce my brand new partners to the show, 99designs. And when I was starting out on this entrepreneur path, I stressed about the graphic design element, the web design elements. You know, I want to encourage you to go check out 99designs because working with an individual graphic designer can be good, but it has its limitations. You know, timing is one thing. If you want dozens of designs to choose from in just seven days, well, I encourage you to visit 99designs.com slash leadership and get a $99 power pack of services absolutely free. Go check them out. Well, so excited to have on my show today, David Frude. He's a business consultant, and he studied the reasons why employees do not tell employers their ideas. He wrote the book, The Thinking Corporation, and translated this into a corporate change program. Steps to Becoming a Thinking Corporation is a summary of how to transform any organization into one where everyone contributes to results. He's halfway across the globe. It's probably early morning for him. David, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Thanks, Richard. It's nice to be here, and thanks for the opportunity to talk to you and your listeners. Absolutely. Are you in Australia? Is that where you're? Um, are we tapping into you at? Yes, sir. That's where I am. I'm uh, at a place called the Gold Coast. I don't know whether you or any of your listeners have ever been there, but um, it's a pretty nice place. Brisbane, they probably know, one of the capital cities, and we're about 100 kilometres south of Brisbane. Uh, a little bit like a mini version of your Miami. Oh, very good. All right. So the same type of tri- uh, climate as Miami. Okay. So is it, uh, but it's your kind of, um, would it be your fall now or is it the spring? What what type, of, what season is it there? Yeah, we're still in the winter, uh, but winter here is very, very mild. It's, uh, you know, to give you some idea, uh, five degrees Celsius, that is. This morning is a really, really cold morning oh, for here. Yeah. And we'll we'll probably get to Celsius again, so we'll get a little bit of translation needed, but probably be between 20 and 24 we'll get to today as a top. So that's, I don't know, what, 70? Yeah. 70 Fahrenheit? Yeah, 20, 40, 30. Yeah, about 70 degrees, 72 degrees yeah. around in there, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, that's- and that's winter. Oh my gosh! Well, that's not too bad. I could I could deal with that. Well, gosh, what a pleasure to have you on the show, you know. And um, and I'm more anxious to learn more about you and uh, and what what you have to offer for us. So, how did you get so passionate about leadership? Give us a little more of your background and how you got to where you're at today. Oh boy, that's a that's a really interesting story because it goes back such a long way, Richard. But I, w- I won't go on forever. But uh, there was one. One case that really stuck in my mind, and it, would you believe it was 1989? Right. I was working. Yeah, it's a long way back, but I was I was working for a large multinational, in fact, an IT company, 
and uh, in a, in a uh, account management role. And one of my colleagues, a uh, technical person and a very, very highly qualified and very smart technical person came to you one day with a fantastic idea. He said, Dave, I've got this idea for a, a new business which, uh, you know, we can go global with it because I've been reading about this internet. Can you believe it, Richard? <laughs> wow. I've been reading about this internet coming and it's going to change the world. People will be able to talk to each other as we're doing now. They'll be able to make bookings. They'll be able to send photos. They'll be able to do all sorts of things. And it's like just around the corner. And my idea is to have this whole chain of what I will call internet cafes <laughs> right the way around the globe. Now, I remember thinking about this afterwards because he's telling me as one of his colleagues, like, let's get together and do this. And right. I'm thinking he's working for the company that makes the PCs. He's working for a multinational that has the capital, has the route to the market, has the expertise to, to launch product globally. And yet he's talking to some crazy guy who can hardly raise a dollar and help him. <laughs> um, you know, like, why isn't the first place he heads straight to the company he works for to say, I've got a great idea and we can all do well out of this. And from then on, when I went into the consulting years, I observed the fact that this is happening everywhere. You know, yeah. like as soon as I got into a, a corporation, you want to find out what's going on. You go closest to the source. You ask the people. They know. And people come up with all these, you know what they should do? No. What should they do? And they come up with fantastic ideas about new product services, new markets, new ways of doing things. Take this company over here. And I thought, right, now I'm going to study this. So for nearly 20 years, I studied, like, why don't people tell their organisations their ideas and, like, why don't organisations listen to them? So, And that's how the I wrote the first book, The Thinking Corporation, that was published in 2008. That's how that book came about, Richard. Well, you know, it's a fascinating topic, and it's one almost on a daily basis when you know, people that I've worked around, you know, it seems to be – it's almost like, and especially the, the larger the organization, the more prevalent the problem seems to be. But it it seems like, um, gosh, you got so much. Ta you're absolutely right. And I come from a place of the Marine Corps where they push that leadership responsibility on the lowest level, and they encourage people to make decisions at the lowest level. And that's something that I near and dear to my heart. But it's so f common to see folks who got so many ideas but they're afraid to speak up or maybe they have spoken up in the past and they seem to get shot down i don't know t talk to me about why does that happen it seems like the 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 echelon at the top from my vantage point they always seem to be trying to solve the problem themselves and they feel like they need to have the answers um i don't know talk to me a little bit educate me a little bit <laughs> well richard uh, I, I think there's a history yeah there's a history if you if you trace it right back and say you trace it back 100 years then you've got like a, a few people that are educated and the majority of the workforce that's not. And so the way the world then was that a few people have got the education say, Look, I know what to do, so I'll tell you. you know, and then all you right. have to do is follow these steps and you can do your job every day. And don't go outside of that because that's what will get the job done. Now, you fast forward 100 years and you get a workforce that's like, uh, yeah, tertiary qualified. Some people have got more than one degree. Um, they, they can think for themselves. They can interact well. They've got far higher social skills than, than we've, we've ever seen so far. And corporations still act not the same, but in a similar way. That legacy is still there. And so... I 
think that's a big part of it, that we need to restructure the organisations to suit an educated workforce, Richard. Well, what do you, why do you think most um, leaders who are in that top echelon, do they, do you, is it because they kind of came up from the ranks and they were kind of known for being the, the technically astute, the smart ones, because they succeeded in some technical aspect of their role, and they even when they get put into that role, we just we just assume that we're still going to do that on a magnified level, even though the leadership skill is completely different than that technical thing we were doing. Is do you think that's why most upper level leaders don't listen to the lower echelon? I think I think it's the training in in what we're talking about, which is leadership. I think it's the training in leadership that that has uh, that leaves something to be desired. And instead of carrying forward your technical expertise into a role where uh, I, I was good at that, so now I'm going to uh, use my knowledge to help other people to do what they have to do every day, to one of asking, you know. And I don't think we're trained managers well enough in asking or the main thing that comes out of in particular my first book um, is facilitation skills is the ability to ask a very good question and then listen for for answers to come back and I think the majority of managers because they're probably highly technically qualified and good at what they do would prefer to tell somebody mainly because their education hasn't gone far enough to educate them in the finer skills of and and the benefits resulting from being an excellent facilitator, not just a good one, but an excellent facilitator. So what are some practical things that we can do? If I'm a middle-over manager, um, and the common theme I hear people saying is like, well, it's sometimes just easier if I do it myself, or it takes too much energy and effort to you know, train the people to do things like I want them to do. What advice would you give to that uh, mid-level manager who's kind of stuck in the middle trying to engage their workforce to to bring forth the, this creativity, these ideas? If, if you bring it down to any individual, it's probably not going to work, Richard. It needs to be a, a company-wide initiative uh, because if you, if you dig into it, as I have for a long period of time, as, as uh, we discussed before, we find that it boils down to or comes down to two main issues. One is culture, the culture of the organisation, and that is, if you like, a sliding scale, which is down one end you've got the, you know, I wouldn't tell this organisation anything, and then right up the other end is I enjoy coming in here, this is a great job, I like the people I work with. Of course, anything I can do to help this organisation out, I will do. That's the sliding scale, and organisations will be somewhere along that scale at the moment. We need to find out where that is. So that's one thing, is the culture of the place. And the other thing is uh, a system. So what happens when uh, an individual does have an idea, where do they go, what do they do, what happens to the idea after that? All of that needs to be thought through and an actual process put into place. You made a point before where you said that the larger the organisation, the more complicated or the more of an issue this is. That's right, because you bring it down to a small organisation where everybody can walk up and talk to each other, they can they can do this on a daily basis without any problem. They can change their culture in five minutes. They can in, in, in implement a system which is like, well, when you've got an idea, you tell George. You know, there's our system. And George will talk to the manager. The manager thinks it's a good idea then the owners will sign off on it. 
that that's a small organisation. Every big organisation needs process. So you've got two things. One is the culture of the place, what it's like to work there. And the other is, what do you do if you have got an idea? How do you put it into a system? How do you uh, then evaluate that idea? How do you make decisions on which ones we're going to implement and which ones we're not? And get this, Richard, this is huge, this part. What do we do about remunerating the people or rewarding the people who have put the ideas in that we do implement? What do we do about that? Yeah. Yep. Those are all great things. And, you know, a couple things that keep propping up in my head is especially when, of course, I'm thinking of big, large organizations and what I've seen is all well and good intentions. Like we got to get the best from, from the best from our people. You know, they got the bright ideas. They're right there on the front lines. They know the most efficient way to do X, Y, and Z. And so they put these processes in place and the processes as any organization, sometimes we over, overthink it. And what, this is what, what I've seen and it drives me crazy and I want you to, to, to speak to it. So mm. we got this process. Okay, I'm going to give you for all these great ideas. I want these good ideas to come up from the bottom. I'm going to give you $50 if, if we implement the idea. Um, and then the next thing I know, I got some mid-level manager that comes up with a KPI or key, key performance indicator. Why haven't, you know, we need to make sure we're getting a hundred of these every month. And now it becomes, instead of a natural process, it's kind of a forced process and people are, just kind of making up things to, to, to submit for the $50 so that they can report up, look how much we've, we've you know, extracted from the lower levels, right? And so we get this kind of mm. false KPI going up the chain. Have you seen th- things like that? I mean, Yeah, I have. I have, and that's part of, part of what I've studied. And um, so there's a couple of issues there. One is the, the $50 per idea. Is it? Okay. So what happens if a person comes along that's got an idea for a, uh, saving the company ten million dollars a year, and you give them fifty dollars. What <laughs> right. sort of <laughs> what sort of incentive That's is right. that for people to come up with big ideas? Exactly. So therefore, what you're doing is you're asking people up to come up with an idea, but don't make it too good. Right. You know, <laughs> we're only going to pay you fifty dollars. So <laughs> come up with an idea that might be worth, let's say, two hundred dollars to us, and we'll pay you fifty. And so the workforce has already got a lid put on it. You, you're saying to your people. We want to listen to you, but not that much. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And then to bring in the KPIs is adding, what, what do you say, salt to the wound. Yeah. It's like, now we've got a wound that's open. We're already putting the lid on you people. Now we want you to give us a hundred of those mediocre ideas per <laughs> month. And if you don't come up with a hundred mediocre ideas per month, you're in trouble. Right. So, like, that is never going to work. You've got to reward people for coming up with the big ideas, the companies the organizations need to look at themselves and think about two big boomer things that they have to make decisions on. And they are, one is how do we reward people for what they provide to our bottom line and the value of our business? There's only two things that organizations do things for or corporations. One is to make more profit and one is, and the other is to increase the entity value. What are we gonna do for people who help us to increase profits and increase our entity value? How are we going to remunerate those people? The other thing that corporations need to ask themselves, how are we going to treat intellectual property for those people that come along with a really big idea that if we if, if they didn't give it to us, we would never know about it, and so we're missing out on tens of millions of dollars, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars. What are we going to do about intellectual pro- uh, property? What's our policy on that? 
Hey, halfway through the show, I want to take some time out, just a brief moment, to talk about my partners at 99designs. You know, if you were like me in the beginning, I remember I was dreaming of a logo, a perfect website design, but I didn't know how to get started. I was worried about a budget. Well, that's where 99designs came in, and they can certainly help. 99designs is the world's largest graphic design marketplace, and it makes it easy for you to to get a design that you love. Just go to their website, tell them about the design you need, and pick a price package that works for you. And that's where the fun really starts up. And this is what I loved about the process. Designers from all around the world will submit awesome designs, and you give them your feedback. And within a week, you get to pick out your favorite and be the proud owner of a gorgeous unique new design with thousands of designers at your fingertips there's no limit to what you can get designed i've used 99 designs and i love working with them and what they did for me so what is it that you need you can boost your brand's visibility with a t-shirt drive more traffic with a sleek new banner ad or a landing page whatever it is you need projects start at just 199 dollars, and your happiness is always 100 percent guaranteed visit 99designs.com slash leadership and you can get a 99 dollars power pack of services absolutely free today go check them out going back to the culture piece what do you think about that don't you think crisis or challenge big challenges and kind of as the leader standing up there saying hey i don't know how we're going to solve this but i know we're going to solve it i need your help isn't that a, a, a great starting point to change the culture yeah, I, I actually see that it, it's necessary for an organisation to operate in the way that I'm looking at it operating. Uh, and the, the culture takes care of that part of it where instead of a manager having to lock themselves away in an office, uh, it, it becomes more of a consultative approach. A good culture will normally, well, it always includes a consultative approach to um, the way people lead and the way people manage. Um, but the part that's missing from the illustration you just gave is that we need some help to solve this. Like, what's out there? What do you guys got? There's some of these organisations got you know thousands, tens of thousands of employees. So that's the system. Right. You know, that's like how we're going to collect these and how we're going to let people know what we're doing. So if you can imagine a system where maybe there's a, a, a web page, say, and it's got like current issues, current issues that we are looking at solving. And the uh, CEO, if you like, could put a little video up there and say on the system, on the information, the, the, I call it the ideas management system, can put a little video on up there and say, this is the position we're in. We're trying to incre- increase sales of this new product that we've just brought out. We're finding resistance in the marketplace. We've got competition. Um, we're, we're not sure that our strategies are working. What ideas are out there? And we're prepared to pay X. Or something that works. That's the system. The culture should already take care of the fact that they're a, a consultative management organization. But I agree with you. But that scenario you just painted, though, realistically, how many corporations have you seen embrace what you just kind of described to us? There, there's hardly any that embrace a, a system like that. It's over the last few years, like since around about 2010, the awareness is accelerating. And so what you've got is corporations. It's not uncommon for me, for example, to talk to a corporation. They say, we're already doing that. We're already doing that. But their their version of what they're already doing is closer to your $50 per idea and right. KPIs than it is to what I'm talking about. So the the awareness is coming up, but it's not really up to this level yet yeah see that's the th- that's the part that i think is in 
that drives that that is gnawing at me because I don't think I still think people at the sea level and above still think they have to be the ones that come up with the big ideas. I think that is a pre- prevalent culture. I could be naive. I mean, you're, you've been in the consulting game and talked to more companies than I have ever even come close to. But it just seems like that is is the prevalent problem is you've got maybe egos at play. I'm not sure, but uh, I'm sure that's part of it. But it just seems like when you get at that higher level and you're talking these big problems – the market's not responding. You know, the cash flow is becoming critical. Um, we need all your help. No one's thinking big. It's like a cash flow crisis. Do everything you can. And then what you see is you see people at the mid-level manager and low, you know, turning off lights to thinking, you know, and that's really not what we're talking about here. We're not talking mm. about turning off lights to the boardroom when you walk out. Or I don't know. Am I, does it make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it's the, the whole reason that that is the very reason that the first book was called The Thinking Corporation, because we're talking about the whole corporation being able to think rather than just a handful of people. Right. Because because now what you've got is that senior level, you know, small group of people really thinking and thinking and acting on the things that count, like how to um increase increase the bottom line and increase the entity value. That just a small group of people thinking about that on a daily basis in the business and then you've got a board of directors who are thinking about that most of the time a lot of time spent uh, because organizations are, are so risk adverse at the moment they're, right. they're spending time on risk management which is like blown completely out of proportion to what about getting on with our business management that's even more important yeah, right so you know you, you that's why i called it the thinking corporation because my vision is to have an organization where everybody has the opportunity to contribute towards the big ideas and the big results they may choose not to and just go in and do their job but they should have the opportunity to well in a sense what we're asking doing is you're asking in a lot of big corporations talk about how entrepreneurial they are but isn't that what they're trying I mean it, that seems to be kind of the uh, I don't know if buzzwords are the right word but I mean it kind of be the flavor of the moment is like we got to become more entrepreneurial we got to be more thinking what do you think about when you hear corporations talk about that we need to be more entrepreneurial uh, look I've got to give it to you straight Richard I uh, I think most of the time they're giving that subject uh, lip service. Yes, they're, they're just saying that. Um, but at the top, they don't know what to do. You know, really, they do not know how to actually switch that entrepreneurial gene on throughout the whole organisation. So they do something like the fifty-dollar thing. They do something and say, "Well, we've got a system that does that now, so that should take care of itself." And you have got this issue of uh, senior senior managers uh, more or less protecting their what they see as their role in life and saying, "Well, if I'm not the one that's coming up with the ideas, if I'm not the person who's you know who's who's actually delivering on this role, then what's my value?" I know, you know? right? And, yeah, that's a great yeah. great point. It's a great question, but isn't the value? And this is where I think the culture shift needs to happen in organizations. Shouldn't when you're at that role, at that senior leadership, your job should be to develop other leaders, and bring, which is a very difficult thing to do, and to find people that can take your job. I may be that may be naive. I mean, I'm not at that C level, but I mean, I've 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 been close, and I've dealt with a lot of C levels types, and that's what to me that's what I think. If I was in that role, that's what I would be doing is finding and spending most of my energy, at least eighty percent of my time, developing other sharp type a quality leaders just kick butt leaders 
And I don't see people doing that. Like I said, I see people retreating to their office trying to solve the problem when the problem will kind of take care of themselves if you get the right people around you, right? I don't know. It sounds so simplistic, but... Well, it is simplistic, but it's um, it's not being addressed properly. That's the thing. Yes, you do have to have the high-level technical expertise and, and uh, qualifications and maybe MBAs and, and things to be in a senior position, um, but that, that doesn't give you the right to suppress other people. In right. fact, it, it's the opposite. It, it gives you the position to nurture and develop other people. And so that's the part that I think that we're missing. We, we seem to have... Um, a, a, an organisation that has a few people at the top that it's their job to control the rest. Well, I kind of flip that one. And, it, you know, management studies over the years have done this anyway and say, well, it's, it's their job to develop the rest. Um, the very, very best managers I've ever seen have had much smarter people working for them yes. than they – and they will tell you, it's like – I go out of my way to find people who are much, much smarter than what I am at, at doing this job and, and doing what needs to be done because I am the facilitator of their skills and that means that as a team we get we really get things done and they respect me anyway because they know I know what I'm talking about. They know that I've earned the right to be here because I've got the grey hair and I've been around long enough and I've, I've got the right qualifications. They, they, they're not trying to knock me off my perch they're going they're happy to get involved richard i reckon most people want to get excited about what they do they, they want to go in and contribute something yes they I want agree. to they want to live most people want to live they don't want to go into work every day like they've had a frontal lobotomy you know yeah <laughs> i agree that's right go through the motions and then you know wander back to the train station and go home again and get up and do it all again in some robotic fashion no, they, they want to be closer to, you know, <laughs> I often think about Jack Bauer. You know, <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. They want to be closer to being a Jack. They're, there's something to be done. Let's go. You know, right. Let's get into it. Let's do what has to be done. The good manager will be able to bring those people along with, with him or her as a team and, and get much more done than what they would if they're trying to keep people under control. Oh, amen to that. I would much yeah. rather try to rein somebody in than try to kick somebody in the pants to get them to go. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I love the Jack Bauer analogy. <laughs> love that show, 24. Hey, so what? who were your heroes before we get – I'm curious, you know, where? who have you always looked up to? I don't know about always looking up to anybody. It's it's more of a, a style of, of management that I'm, I, I must say, Richard, is very, very rare, but I've – in the in the consulting years of being involved with big organisations, I came across maybe four people that, that I really looked up to. Really, and that yep, that's all. And they would be people of very similar to the kind of management uh, outlook that we were talking about. And they were people that would oh, most most of the day, no matter what. The issues were have a have a big smile on their face. <laughs> yeah. Most of the day, go around talking to their people. If there was ever a um, like ever a major event, like getting everybody together, a seminar or you know conference or something, they would be the first person on stage and set the scene again with a big smile on their face and telling a few jokes. Um, uh, know most people by name unless they were fairly new. 
to the organisation, uh, not locking themselves away in a room with a view of the harbour and listening to the hush of the air conditioning, but <laughs> but part of what's happening out there every day and in touch with what's happening out there every day, making sales calls with their people, meeting customers, um, closer to being Jack Bauer than, you know, right. uh, yeah. sitting in the office. Yeah, yeah, I love that, I mean, Those are the people that I admire. I know it, right? I mean, so, it's so true. And, I mean, it fits that kind of – Whole Jim Collins a good to great level five leadership model, right? You know, where you're just completely self-effacing, but completely intense about succeeding for the org- having the organization succeed, not for themselves, but for the the betterment of everybody around them and what the what the organization stands for. Yeah, I know the types, and um, it's it's hard work to be. You know, I think we'd all like to. I mean, I know I would. I would love to be that type of leader, but it's hard work. It's so hard um, to put your selfish interest aside and to into um constantly be thinking about how can i bring somebody else up how can i you know i think it's a mindset that can become infectious just like the 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 negative side of it but the more that people think that way is like it's not about me it's about them it's about creating a culture of leadership a culture where people can ask for forgiveness and permission those are the type of things that i dream organizations would would be standing for Mm. I think organisations have a responsibility to develop their managers. You know, I think you're talking about why aren't there, or we are talking about why aren't there more managers like that. The organisation has a responsibility to develop their managers to become like that. Yeah. Because the, the the very thing that holds people back, most people underneath it all, you scratch the surface, they're fantastic. Yeah. You know what? And what's happening on the surface is there's there's this uh, level of fear. Yeah. Is, is uh, I might lose this job unless I'm seen to be, you know, w- what this company expects me to be. Now you 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 manage that fear. You help a senior manager to manage that fear. I don't have to be worried about anything. I'm good at what I do. I'm here because I'm good at what I do. I love working with these people. Like strip that away, and then you've got that handful of people that I was talking about before because they had either managed to do that themselves, strip that fear away of what might happen if I if I mess this up. You know, they've been able to strip that fear away and get on with who they really want to be. Um, organizations can help people to do that. They can they can develop their managers to get rid of their own fears and anxieties and whatever it is that's holding them back and, and create an outward focus. Instead of an inward focus on what's only good for them, an outward focus on that, how can I help these other people who are working with me? How can I help the organization to get to where it wants to get to? And by doing those things, by having that outward focus, then I'll, I'll be a much happier person. I'll be a much more relaxed person. I probably won't need these blood pressure tablets anymore. Oh, right, right. <laughs> and and like we'll, we'll produce a better result. I, so there is a responsibility back on the organizations, I believe, to help managers to be that way. It doesn't happen naturally, as you were saying. I love, love, love that you said that, and you're absolutely right. What a great insight that it really is one of our primary jobs as managers and leaders is to mitigate the fear of the people we're accountable for. That is such a great – because it's so true because everything that – you know, just like in the case of the example where your coworker, your buddy was coming up and telling you about this fabulous idea for the Internet, and why didn't he share that with the organization, at the root of it, maybe he knew this, maybe not, was fear for whatever reason, fear of rejection, fear of getting laughed at, fear of 
um, uh, threatening, whatever. There's, at the root of it, it was all kinds of fear. And you're absolutely right. I think if more people could get to the point where they're just not afraid to make mistakes anymore, that is so transformative to somebody's personal life and to the organization. I'm just not afraid to make mistakes anymore. If you can get to that point, wow, man, watch out because then, then uh, things will really start to change. I think that's absolutely right. And, uh, um, yeah, it, it, today's, today's business world, as we are talking about before, is, is about risk, risk management. Is a, is a, it's got a lot of focus, and I think it's, it's much more focused than what it deserves. Um, because what about, uh, okay, one, one end of that is risk management. What about opportunity management? Yeah. You know, how good is that? Does that get the same level of focus in an organization? No. It's because if you want to balance it up and you say, we're going to spend, you know, 30% of our board meeting time on risk management. Well, are you also spending 30% of the time on opportunity management? Because that's the balance. It should be. Right. And if you, if you did spend 30% of your time on opportunity management, boy, what a different world it would be out there in corporate world. Because instead of trying to put the lid on everything, you know, we'd be trying to open it up and right. say, why can't we do better? What else have we got? What, what, are, what else have our people got? My friend who came to me with that idea right back in 1989, <clears throat> the chances are, Richard, that what he's concerned about is his whole idea would get stolen. Yeah. You know, as if he didn't tell somebody that he felt safe with, that his whole idea would get stolen. And a lot of people in corporate world think exactly like that. Yeah. In fear, right? There's that fear. That's it. Mm hmm. You know, it's a, I love how you said that the opportunity management piece, you know, it really is if I'm focused on risk management, which all sounds good and well. But that really is is from a scarcity mindset, whereas what you're talking about, let's talk about opportunity management. Now we're talking of a mindset of abundance, and that really is the, is the game game changer. That's the shift that I think people need to, need to be. It's an abundance mindset as opposed to a scarcity mindset. Yeah, and, and the business world does, does think in terms of risk management and does think in terms of scarcity. You know, you look at the majority of the ways that, the ways that they go about things like their marketing, they'll carve up a market like a, a pie chart and say this person's got X percent, that person's got X, uh, Y percent. And that's the way they see the world, that there's only a certain amount of anything. Um, but then you've got at a left field that an employee comes along and says, Hmm, I got an idea that could produce a hundred million bottom line per year, you know, like my friend with the internet thing. Plus, we could have property all over the world, and does the organisation not even geared to listen to it? Right. So it's like the abundant side of that scale doesn't exist. It's like let's control everything that's within the box and forget about whatever's outside the box, no matter what the business books say and the universities say and about doing something in some other way, most companies, I say most because there's some that are, are tr really trying to change that, but most companies are still like mainly risk management controlling what is in a scarcity mode. Yeah. Mm. Oh, gosh, Dave, this is a fun conversation. It's hard to believe that uh, it's been almost 35 minutes going through, but I could sit there and talk to you about this all day. But where can people find you, get in touch with you? Give a quick plug out for you uh, where they can get in touch with you. Well, they, they could they could look at the site. The site's simply thethinkingcorporation.com. I know it's a long one, Richard, but all one word, thethinkingcorporation.com. So there's a way to get in touch through there, or they can simply send me an email, david at thethinkingcorporation.com. 
And if they feel like making a, an international call, <laughs> they could always ring plus 61. So our country code is 61, uh, 412 296 463. So it's plus 61, 412 296 Well, David, thanks for coming on the show. I'll have links to all these on the post when, uh, when people can go to the listen to the show on the website. Or if you're at iTunes, go to his website. There'll be links uh, at doseofleadership.com. David, what a pleasure. What a fun conversation. I look forward to staying in touch with you and, and, and collaborating with you in the future. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, thank you for having me, Richard. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, likewise. We'll talk again. Cheers. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.